0: The end all be all is really not genetics either. It also really has to do with what's been your expression. What's your experience? Because we can do all the scientific research in the world, but really you probably
1: know what's best for you, right? Welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional
2: diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life.
1: Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode 193 of the Biohacker Babes. I am Renee tuning in from Las Vegas today and I have Lauren, my sister here across the country. Hey, this is Lauren
2: tuning in from Maryland today. How's it going? Yeah, it's going great. Um, we've done great. it again. We got similar colors on. I don't know what what is this pattern, this synchronicity that know. we've been following as of synchronicity. late. There's yeah, that, that word again. There's a color pool. <laughs> it's kind of a reddish. Well, I think you're more in a coral, maybe, but I'm in like an uh, orangey red. Very similar. Yeah.
1: What would Dr. Deanna Minick say about our color choices today? Oh, I'm like totally in my first chakra today. I'm like survival. <laughs> survival. <laughs> I'm glad you're surviving
2: over there. That's good. No, not like survival flight mode, but I feel it's a (laughs) grounding, grounded energy, right? I'm in, in my pelvis. I'm grounded to the earth. I'm like, rah, let's go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, your pop question of the day, what biohack will you be doing today that you're most excited about? Hmm. Hmm. Or maybe you already did it since it's later there. still morning over here on the West yeah, Coast. Yeah, I'm like, I had my whole self-care hour this morning. I already did.
2: So what else will I do? Can oh, I, I saw that. I this thing? That looks nice. That can be it. Yeah, I had my... Well, I'm in a microdosing protocol. So I was supporting that by doing a nature walk with Rudy. And then I came back and did red light, meditation. And I felt like I had to go a little bit deeper, so then I did 10 minutes of brain tap, and then I journaled. Nice. Is all of that a biohack? <laughs> of course <laughs> The microdosing is. is a biohack. Yeah. The red light yeah. is definitely a biohack. It's all biohack. It's all optimizing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love it. What about all you? Right. What are you going to do today? It's on the docket.
1: Definitely going to do red light, brain tap, and amp coil, but I'll probably stack the brain tap and the amp coil. I need to do some hormone harmony today.
2: Mm, I love that.
1: Yeah, that's a nice hack. Yeah. I meant stack. Stack hack. Hack stack? Stack
2: hack. That's a good (laughs) stack. Excellent. Love that.
1: All right, biohackers. We have a guest coming on for you today. We have C McDermott, and she is an epigenetic coach. So she specializes in everything when it comes to functional genomics, epigenetic expression. And we both just read her book, Your DNA, Your Life. And I just love her approach to genetics, how we really have the choice every day with what we do that we are either with the dimmer switch, right? We're either upping our gene or turning our genes up or on or off or down, however you want to look at it with the dimmer switch, but just that we have so much control over our genetics and how they express every day, every month, every year, the rest of our life. So I love her book, love her style of coaching and I'm really excited for this conversation. And I just wanted to share something. I looked this up while we were on the podcast with her, but I didn't have time to share it. But we started talking a lot about the importance of relationships and social connection. And I heard this on a podcast yesterday. Here we go, synchronicity. And they were talking about broken heart syndrome and how the actual statistic is you have a 66% increased chance of dying If your spouse dies, I'm not seeing the exact time. I think it's like within two or three weeks. And it's so interesting because it's like, is there a physiological thing going on there? You know, why, why is it called the broken heart syndrome? It's, I think it's just that social connection is so strong, especially with a spouse, because typically, you know, if they're married 50, 60, 70 years, it's pretty wild when we see this. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: yeah. And I know that's interesting.
2: A lot of energetic bonding. Feels like that bond is kind of split open. So I think that's so fascinating. Relationships are just hugely important. And yeah, I love that element in our conversation today. I think this is a very different type of genetic conversation, which she's very well-versed and knowledgeable in all of the genetic sips and how this actually plays out in nutrition coaching and the scientific literature. But we really veered towards mindset, spirituality, and... You know, creating positive narratives for ourselves, which in my experience of genetic reports, you know, typically it'll say the SNP, you are base pairs, and then the advice below is usually supplementation, some form of exercise, sauna, cold exposure. But we just kept coming back to the mindset spirituality conversation. And again, with relationships and connection, just so hugely important when it comes to genetic expression. So just really grateful for that perspective, because I think that is sort of the umbrella that holds all
1: of this together when we're looking at health and longevity specifically. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, before we jump in, let me tell you a little bit more about her. So C McDermott is a precision wellness practitioner based in New Jersey. C focuses on preventing disease and optimizing lifestyle through nutrition, behavior change, mindset, and stress management. She is a cognitive health specialist, a behavior change expert, a certified personal trainer, a certified genomics coach, kundalini yoga teacher, the founder of C McDermott Genomics, and the author of the international best-selling book, Your DNA, Your Life. She currently runs the operations of Appear on Genomics and is continually expanding her genomic and epigenetic knowledge through education and personal experience. She was such a lovely guest. I am so excited to share this conversation with you all. All right, let's dive in. Welcome, C, to the Biohacker Babes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk today. Yes, we're both excited. I was just saying before we hit record that we both just finished reading your book um, so excited to pick your brain a little bit more today, all about genetics, epigenetics, maybe some more about longevity, which I'm excited to nerd out about with you. And I think our audience is getting more familiar with this topic. We've been trying to bring it up as often as possible on the podcast this year. So I think to just like jump right in, what would you say are some of the biggest lifestyle or biohacking things that we can do to turn our genes on or off?
0: Well, um, yeah, I think really super foundational, starting with sleep, (laughs) um, right? So getting in the, the proper circadian rhythm. So when I do genetic testing with clients, we always look at where the optimal time to sleep is. Some people are super early morning. Some people really are night owls. And then some people are somewhere in the middle. And I find that some people will say that they've been living their whole lives maybe as a night owl, and they are convinced that they're a night owl. And then we get their genetics. Perhaps they're actually living um, not in their circadian rhythm. And then when I convince them to make the change and they commit to that, they find a world of difference. And really in uh, a lot of times in cognitive function, I find that a lot of people are like, wow, I didn't realize I was a little bit like maybe like brain fog or tired or kind of like moving through the day a little bit in a daze. And then they have that uh, clearer cognition. I had a client a few years ago who uh, was really, had always been a night owl. You know, she went to bed 11 or 12 o'clock. Her husband was a night owl and they stayed up late. And when she switched over, she was in her fifties and she said, I feel like I'm in college with uh, my thinking again. I I can recall things more. And she's like, my memory is just like back. So something so, so foundational um, that costs almost nothing, right? Like we just need to get in line with uh, our actual natural circadian rhythm.
2: Very cool. I love that. That resonates. I had a client that was so determined to be a night owl for her whole life. She was like, I was born this way. And I looked at her genetics and it said otherwise. So one, I'm really curious about how to best motivate someone to even try to go to bed earlier with that programming, whether it's unconscious or conscious, is just so deeply ingrained how do you get them to even try that? And I'm curious with the genetics, are you seeing any crossover or confirmation then with the sleep chronotypes? so that the animal types, the lion, the dolphin, the bear, or the wolf? Yeah. So, um, I actually was about to say people really fall into those, uh, storylines,
0: right? Like I'm a night owl, I'm an early bird and they really like to stick to it, Don't but I will say, me. right. Like <laughs> yeah. this is no, this is me. I can't, I can't rewrite that story. So, um, Yeah. Luckily, a lot of people, I think a lot of my clients are coming to me looking for change. So even though they might try a bunch of different things, I think the majority of people that are looking at their genetics are like, I've tried a lot of things. And over the years, maybe I'm starting to not feel my best or just things are starting to just kind of slowly, maybe not you know, kind of falling into place like it used to. The things that weren't working aren't working anymore, right? And usually that's around the age of like 40, 50s to things. Just um, the body starts to say, wait a second, we're, we're not living in alignment. And I think getting out of that story and kind of like wiping the slate clean and allowing them to rewrite that story based on, hey, I want to feel my best. And maybe if I'm in something like the wrong circadian rhythm, something so simple. And usually I'll just say, give it a try for one week. You know, and like when we meet next week, you know, because we do weekly coaching calls, uh, let's just see how it feels, you know. And then it's often also about convincing a spouse or a partner, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you have uh, people that are, you know, they're they're night owls, maybe that's the time they spend together. Or a lot of times people will put their kids to bed and then they're like, well, that's my time. That's also a lot of time where people are like, oh, I'm going to scroll. I'm going to Netflix and drink wine. um, have my glass of wine, yes. And then I, I usually will pe- put people on a trial, like give me seven days, commit to that, and let's see. And it's almost without fail, they will say, "Okay, I do feel a difference." But you know, at times, maybe they'll say, "And I want to make the shift not so dramatically." And then over time, maybe we can work it in. But I, I ask them to make that dramatic shift from the first that first week and see how it feels. And then sometimes people will dial it a little bit deeper in as we go forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I see yeah. a lot of I see a lot of correlation in and uh, you know, one of the longer researched genes is that clock gene, right? So we have a lot of clinical back data about the circadian rhythm, which number one is is really uh, when you're when you're trying to show people that epigenetics is uh, a thing that works, right that you can apply to your life and it doesn't have to remain in a lab. I think it's one of those actionable items where you can say, here's the research, but let's try it out. And then when they feel that it's
2: true, you're like, oh, right. It's kind of a way to convince the, the naysayers out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Because something that just came up with a client uh, this morning, she found that she's one of those fast placebo responders. Mm. and Her head was like blowing up. She's like, oh my gosh, what does this mean about everything that I've ever done in my life? Yeah. you know. You can really, people based off a narrative or, you know, just a subjective experience can, can change the situation.
0: Right. And a lot of times with nutrition too, you know, we of course take a lot of look at fats is probably the main place we look just because keto is very popular. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, if you grew up in the nineties, low fat was super popular, right? I have the genotype that if I eat low fat, I would be like a mess. I'm like brain fog. I would be disaster. I need tons of fat. So knowing that has helped me. And even in the last five years, my energy levels have skyrocketed. But really, I mean, as I'm aging, it hasn't made a difference to me because I'm in the right eating for the genotype, right? Because Mm. if you're, you know, if you're APOE4, you probably want to avoid keto in a certain way, but it's still doable. Going to be a modified keto, right so um, I find that one of the bigger ones with energy levels comes down to like fat that's another one that you can demonstrate with clients very simply to really show people what a difference and just have them kind of eat within that genotype for one week see how they feel and generally they're going to feel a difference
1: yeah yeah awesome. I I mean I definitely experienced that with the saturated fat. The listeners have heard me tell this story before, but like I was doing the bulletproof diet with the butter and the MCT oil <laughs> and the coconut oil and the bacon, and I had terrible brain fog.
0: Um, mm.
1: And yeah, I, I guess, so I'm APOE 3-4. Um, mm-hmm. I think also the FTO gene, I'm not an expert in this realm, but there were multiple things that were pointing to, hey, maybe reduce your saturated fat. And I do feel better. But yeah. at the same time, I have to get my good, you know, adequate protein. I do need my healthy fats from the other sources, right? Right. Because I still don't do well with a lot of carbs. So yeah. And that's, yeah.
0: And it's perfect because then you can really find that balance. I'm not a macro counter. That's definitely not. I feel like that's for the majority of people. It's can be a bit of a miserly existence unless people love it and then go for it. But generally with uh, most of my clients, they end up just kind of having an idea of like at the end of the day, at the end of like a three-day window, what does the intake look like? And when someone has, for instance, a three, four... We just really focus on those monounsaturated fats, avocados. And then, you know, even if you need, if you have the FTO where you can have higher fat and you have a three, four, that's a common one too, I see. So it's really focusing on fat, the right fat. And then they're like, wow, not only do I feel better because I'm not doing like low fat, right. And I'm not getting those added sugars from the, you know, super refined, uh, you know, like keto or like low fat, uh, or sorry, the low fat things that we have that end up having extra sugar. Then they're like, "Oh, wow, I have the right fats." And then again, like, you know, we don't we know this is so related to the to the brain health in general, but also cardiovascular health. So then they're like, "Oh, my workouts are stronger and I'm walking around like, you know, with like on point like that memories there, recalls there, really being able to like hold your own in the workplace and really be able to perform at a higher level."
2: Yeah. yeah we talk about this on the podcast all the time about kind of putting the puzzle together. And it just continues to blow my mind how many more and more pieces that there are. And I think, especially with genetics, because we have 25,000 genes and we have a billion base pairs and millions of SNPs. And I think genetic testing looks at such a small piece of that. It almost seems like how can we possibly know all of the combinations and the pairs and the best outcome? So do you believe... I guess for a good example is Renee and I have the same apoe 34 FTO gene, but I do really well with saturated fat. And I found out through another genetic test that I have something in my gut, which I can't remember exactly what it is, but I like downstream, I do metabolize it. So mm-hmm. we're different in that way, but it was like that one little missing piece. So do you find that with the current literature and what we know about genetics, that the N1 experimentation, of course, like some coaching to support that, to set up like good, healthy experiments, is that the best? Way forward because I think it can be really kind of dizzying. Yes,
0: I mean it can be very, it can be overwhelming for the average person. And then the average person that wants more data, like the biohacker, right? That can that can just really be distilling the data down to like what what applies to you. First of all, number step one is probably to get your baseline genetics right. And then past that, I think having a coach or having some someone that can assist you in at least figuring out what is the best kind of protocol to start. But the end-all, be-all is really not genetics either. It also really has to do with what's been your expression, what's your experience. Because, for instance, we have the GAD1 variation. Um, this would cause a, like a gluten sensitivity, but also really a huge sensitivity to processed food such as like you know, MSG and food additives. So this is a really common thing that I see in people that come with come to me with anxiety is that they have the GAD1 and there's other people that come to me with the GAB1 expression and it's not at all expressed. And they're like, no, I have no issue with that. Like it doesn't bother me or i mean, it's just not exposed to that very often. So we also have to look at not only what is your predisposition? Because again, when you're looking at genetics, you're really only looking at the predisposition of the person. So you're, you're taking the base pair from the mother, the base pair from the father, you get your base pairs. And then what is that actually, you know, how are these, these proteins being folded and how are the histones expressing so that where we're showing, are you actually allergic to gluten? Do you have a sensitivity to gluten? Or were you not actually, was that never triggered most likely in childhood? And now you've never been exposed to it that the body's gonna react and you're totally fine with gluten. You know, So it really depends on what's the experience, which is why when um, I go over genetics with someone, instead of just handing like someone a, hey, here's a 30 page PDF, good luck with that. Like have a nice day. Um, I always incorporate coaching into my program, but uh, I do all my genetics through, Appear on, and we do a very, very extensive array. So we can distill it down for the client, but essentially we do 750,000 SNPs and we really look at, uh, I think we have on the report right now, you know, there's like 500 different SNPs that we actually report on, and we're constantly building new reports. So right now we're working on a longevity report, we're working on a psychedelic response report. So we're able to really take a lot of clinical data that we have formulated from. Uh, not only years of actual research from other uh, realms, but even within the performance clinic that appear on runs, there's mountains of data that we are able to actually put this into practice. So we can say, well, actually GAD-1 is often uh, triggered by adverse childhood effects. And we know this through research now. So we can say, hey, going back all the way to childhood, hey, what happened to your mother during pregnancy? Um, you know, how was your birth? Like it can go way back. But again, what is the expression? How has it actually been triggered in your life? Or or maybe not. You know, it's like that dimmer switch. Is it turned up or down? And then, of course, if you have that, how can we prevent it from being turned up or prevent it from being turned down, depending on the circumstance?
2: Mm. I yeah, love the nuances just, there. Off, on, but also the spectrum of the dimming is yeah.
1: really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Funny, yeah. <laughs> no, gosh. we Lauren and I think so Like, I was just going to say. <laughs> I was like, going to say that? I've never really thought of it like as the dimmer switch. Yeah. I thought it was, it's either on or it's off, but I didn't realize, yeah, there's really that spectrum. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you have some people that you can, you know, over time you can track and see like, Hey, your sensitivity to this has gone down because of these changes that you've made, you know, like suddenly we're getting the quality sleep or we've added cold uh, therapy or we've added sauna, you know, um, of course, two of my like, more favorite of the, of the easy and uh you know affordable ish uh, you know ice bath affordable sauna a little bit less affordable but also still doable in some uh locales and you know something as simple as that knowing your genetics hey are you are you more prone to having like a bad stress from an ice bath or is that uh or is that gonna be good for you you know
1: oh okay so funny Lauren loves the cold and I love the heat and the saunas so it's like we always have this hot and cold debate So yeah, Yeah. I'd be curious if I have what's going on with my genetics as far as like, why do I hate cold? Is (laughs) is it actually good for me? Is it just so stressful that it's going to be good? Or is there a reason that I'm like appalled by the idea of getting in a cold? Yes.
0: I, I too, like my husband is currently on this ice bath kick. I am like, not for me. No. And I constantly tell him like, it must be nice to walk around with a 24 hour cycle and just no, you can just ice bath bathe like that. And I'm like, women talk far more nuanced. However, for me, all about the sauna. It's, it just works for my genetics, but I have done a little cold acclimation, but upon looking at my genetics, I'm like, it's not for me. It's too much of a stress. So yeah, it's, it's, uh,
1: it's all in there. That's some good justification then. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I can't do it. It's my genes. No, I'm just yeah. Going. It's, it's like, genetically it. <laughs> not, not, not good for me. Yeah. So but yeah. on the, other, the sauna. And I think uh, Lauren and I discovered the other day. So we both ha- tend to have lower BDNF based on of our mm-hmm. genes and sauna is a great way to boost that. And I'm like, maybe that, yes. I mean, it could be just one reason why I feel like a rock star when I get out of the sauna.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and,
1: don't.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's, what's interesting is your BDNF. I mean, BDNF is so interesting that uh, really, you know, even just exercise, you guys are both super fit. So, you know, like exercises increases this so significantly um, and really, preventing a lot of cognitive decline in, in older age. And as we know, like the sauna, that correlation is so strong uh, with, you know, for instance, like four days a week use, 20 minutes a day. It's a 60% difference in the research in cognitive decline with or without use. And it's, uh, you know, it's like, I, I keep joking that not saunying is the new smoking, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. what an incredible tool we have available. And, you know, as the research continues, you know, maybe the benefit will increase, maybe it'll decrease slightly, but clearly there's a correlati- correlation there. And I'm all I'm all for it. You know, anything that's um, really and when it comes to saunaing, like you're extending your workout, if you get to go right after a workout, and you're getting a cardiovascular event. And really somebody that's injured or someone that's older that isn't really willing to like get their heart rate up all that high or they're they just don't feel up to it that day maybe a little sauna you know if they're if they're up for the stress of it i think it's a great tool to add yeah. on to to any healthy lifestyle
1: absolutely yeah.
2: so uh heat for you guys heat and cold maybe <laughs> the collective as a day-to-day thing but what are the components that are affecting like over the course of a lifetime that are affecting this dimmer switch? You mentioned some stuff that potentially happens in childhood or at birth. I mean, we have a lot of lifetime that we've lived. It's not just in the last few days. I I sweat and I did some good things for my health. <laughs> yeah. What else is affecting the dimmer?
0: So exercise is huge, right? And nutrition, and then a big, a big thing that I know nobody wants to hear because uh, you know we're 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 exposed to toxins, but you know environmental toxins. And um, I know there's kind of this. It feels like there's a little bit of a online debate in uh, maybe like in the Instagram world where people are like, everything's toxic. We get it, but. <laughs> We can really but just reduce, <laughs> reduce the toxic load, right? Because I know it can get, it can feel a little overwhelming for people when they first step into that realm and they say, oh, well, everything's toxic. So I may as well just like throw my hands up. No, we can reduce our toxic load. And when you look at someone's genetics, you can see like, are they more affected by exposures to BPAs from plastics or are they more affected by smog, you know, so. Maybe not everybody can like pack up their family and move out of an urban environment where the air quality is lower. But at the same time, like a lot of people can throw out their plastic containers and buy a $40 um, box of glass containers that now you can use to store your food. You know, you can swap to a stainless steel bottle, which I think most people are not really drinking out of plastic these days, but, you know, avoiding heating plastic, not in the dishwasher. And something that's so simple as that is really lowering our toxic load and then being aware Where we can make those easy changes. You know, um, I always test people to see what their exposure, what their um, health risk is to exposure to dental amalgams. And I know your father was a biological dentist, so you're probably well aware, you know, and that's something that I think people are starting to move towards where it's, hey, let's get rid of these old-fashioned dental amalgams. And something so simple every time you chew, you're being exposed to this. So you know that's a pretty big investment monetarily for for people. But if you have this higher risk, maybe you do kind of put your priority there. If you have uh, the resources and the ability to say, hey, this is my next big project instead of buying a sauna, maybe I actually go and look at since my genetics are more effective by this since the epigenetic, you know, dialing down of any positive health benefits might outweigh the, you know, the use of sauna. So then instead we, you know, you put the money towards getting those dental malonyms out. Um, yeah. so it is doesn't always have to be specific
1: sorry. to mercury. Is that like yeah. people, oh, they yeah. can't like detox mercury well, or uh, so there'd be like a heavy metal correlation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Heavy metals. So okay. often if, if
0: people still have dental magnums and they have kind of that lower propensity for health risk, I'll say that's probably not a priority. Now you could still do it certainly if you have the resources, but if you're going to, you know, allocate, uh, economically to something like that might not be it. Or if they have that super higher risk, then it's like, Hey, this is a place of focus. I just like to give clients like, Hey, this is like an area of focus where you're going to have a bigger impact, right? Because if you come in this space and you're like, okay, here's the list, right? And it's like this huge laundry yeah. list of like, uh, speaking of laundry, like don't use laundry detergent anymore, right? Like use this instead and the fragrances and, you know, it can be overwhelming to people. I know like I have been doing this and incorporating into my life for so long that to me, it's like, oh, of course you make your own laundry detergent. But I realize that's <laughs> probably out of reach for a lot of people. Baby um, steps. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's like getting
0: people to be like, okay, how am I actually going to do this? I have to live in the world. I have to like send my kids to school every day, you know, make school lunches instead of buying school lunch every day. Maybe, you know, like what I do with my kids, they do pizza day on Friday and I allow it. I hate it, but I allow it. You know, and then I try to make sourdough bread for their lunch instead so that they have, you know, like the good, the good part and the good gut bacteria. So it's like making those little changes where you can make those swaps. But I know when you live like full fledged in that world, people are kind of like, oh, that's not for me. So I try to make it a little more actionable and that way it can fit into the context of the person's life. Right. Because it's like if your family isn't on board or like your neighbors are not doing this, you might not be super open to it. Right. Right. So yeah. baby steps, like you
2: said, <laughs> I really agree with that. Like really uh, empowering the client to make that prioritization of the list because we do have a long checklist. But what is the, you know what are the biggest pain points? What do your genetics say? I mm-hmm. think with dental amalgams specifically, I know the dangers. We know the dangers, but for mm-hmm. some people, they're not symptomatic. So is it the top of the list? You mean I? I would say so, but they have to ultimately make that decision. So right. All things considered, we have to make our own priority list. Otherwise, it's not going to be actionable. Mm-hmm. I guess just to follow up on the toxic exposures and maybe specifics plastic uh, with plastic specifically, how much from childhood affects like our mother or father using plastics versus us using plastics now? How much does that stay with us? Or then mm. we're just looking at
1: detoxification pathways. Hey, biohackers, you may have noticed that there are a ton of new supplement brands popping up every week. But unfortunately, there are a lot of junk supplements out there. They're using poor quality ingredients, and sometimes the label doesn't even match what's actually in the bottle. I know, it's so crazy. This is why Lauren and I are constantly searching for new brands and looking for the best ones so we can bring them to you all. And one of the brands that we truly love and trust is Paleo Valley. I won't run through all of their amazing products right now, but I will tell you about a couple of my favorites, which include their greens powder. It's the only one on the market I will even consume anymore because it contains organic greens and superfoods. Plus it's gluten-free, soy-free, grain-free, dairy-free. And the real game changer here is that they don't use any cereal grasses like wheatgrass or fillers, which is really extremely common in greens powders today and can be problematic for a lot of people. They have other amazing supplements like their apple cider vinegar complex which is great because it's in capsule form so you don't have to drink the nasty apple cider vinegar that people don't love so much and you get all the benefits for digestion, detoxification, blood sugar control and then another favorite is their grass-fed organ complex. So you know we talk a lot about eating organ meats on the show because they're very nutrient dense but a lot of people don't want to spend the time to cook that and don't love the flavor of it. So they have put it in capsule form taking away all of our excuses about organ meats. And they also have one other snack, the superfood bars. If you ever need something that's healthy, on the go, this is a really nutrient-dense, clean product that we love as well. And everything tastes delicious plus they're 100% grass-fed beef sticks I promise you once you try these you will never want to go buy just like a random beef stick at the store whether it's at the gas station or Whole Foods wherever these are so delicious and they're very very clean and we love them so much so our friends at Paleo Valley were kind enough to give all of our listeners 15% off and you don't even need a coupon code at checkout all you have to do is use the link that's in the show notes for today's episode. I will also link to the episode where we had Autumn Smith from Paleo Valley on the show. That was earlier in 2022. So you can learn more about Autumn and her mission, which is just so beautiful and amazing. And we love the work that they're doing. So check out the show notes for today's episode. We'll put the, all the links in there. And let's get back to the show.
0: Yeah, it's mostly affecting de- affecting detoxification pathways, but hormones are so disrupted um, that In early childhood, um, I would say, you know, like the generation, like the millennials, we were exposed to plastics, however, not as much. So now I think we have more knowledge. I think there was like a small window where there was a a group of people pretty exposed and, and really like preconception is so important to make sure that like a mother isn't exposed to a lot of toxins. Now, if she's just exposed to plastics here and there while pregnant, of course, the body detoxes all of this, right? That's, that's its job, but hopefully maybe, yeah, (laughs) but we are also bombarded from every angle, right? And the way that we measure our toxic load in this country is like, if you were exposed to this one thing today, you would be okay. And of course, as we know, that's, Probably not a great caliber, I need, think we need to take a look at that and re, you know rewrite the um, the protocol for that. But in the meantime, until some legislation gets t- taken <laughs> takes place to do that, I think in the meantime we just limit that exposure. And, and yeah, like when you're when you're a small child and you're exposed to plastic, hopefully you're not exposed to other toxins. Your body does detoxify it, and then. As you grow, your hormones, you know, if you then eat within your genetics and you're sleeping well and you're getting um, even just a, you're in a caring, loving environment, then the body does adapt. Right. And then it, it makes those repairs. So while there may be downstream effects hormonally avoiding the endocrine disruptors for younger children and for pregnant women is, is super important so that down the road, we don't have, you know, like for instance, super low testosterone in adult men or young men and, you know, um, women or girls going through puberty much younger because they've been exposed to these endocrine disruptors. So, yeah, I mean, it's, Part of a larger picture that um, I think we don't really take a look at, but definitely for our youth, it's as I think awareness comes, we are starting to like remove plastics and then we'll have a little less, you know, fragrances in the air and a little bit less exposure to things. And then, you know, the bodies can begin to make those repairs as we as a society remove more processed foods and things for children.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's getting much better. I mean. Especially compared to growing up in the 90s, where we lived at Bath and Body Works. Um, <laughs> I literally bathed in, I mean, I had the shower gel, the lotion, the body spray, the soap, the shampoo, the <laughs> lip gloss, like lip oh, gloss.
2: So yeah. I was practically <laughs> eating that stuff. Yeah. And
0: then I would get dropped off at the mall and come up with my big bag of Bath and Body Works, and it was so cheap yeah. and plentiful. You'd spend your allowance there and then slather it up before you went to like eighth grade uh, school dances. So <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we were all exposed to quite a bit, yes. but again, but, you know, yeah. uh, I think maybe we, we survived. Had- Yeah, we had we had less. uh, I mean, I know I ate some pretty decent food when I was a kid, so hopefully that kind of uh, reduced my toxic load a little bit. So yeah, we we're we're a little wiser now, and I think um, those informed choices make a big difference for parents and
1: kids. Oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely changing for the better. So (laughs) although I think Bath and Body Works is still at the mall, like last time I was there, there. I saw Mm -hmm. it and I had to like run around it because I could smell it. Coming out of the entrance. Yeah,
0: I don't know if we can say, um are they going to get us in trouble? But yeah, it's it's, oh. it's, a, it's a bad place to avoid it, especially if you're young, yeah. um, at, or There's... any of those real fragrance products, like which even you know, like yeah. the drugstore like sprays, or you know, in a public restroom, sometimes you can smell that stuff. Um,
2: Mm-hmm, Those are the, yeah. the
0: real nasty ones, but um, yeah, as as a brand, they probably need to re re uh, pivot their their products. That
2: would be great. I've noticed even Sephora is like overkill with the fragrance, and I do still mm. shop there because there are particular brands that I trust and and really like. But I have to hold my. I'm so funny. I like stand outside. i like, <laughs> and I run in. It never lasts. I can't hold my breath that long. But it's, you yeah. could just wear a mask, you
1: gotta or gotta just
2: shop online. Just, you know i do usually but every now and then you know in person yeah what is that bath bomb store that everybody loves it makes like the lush Oh yes. lush lush that projects 20 feet outside of the store so if you're even anywhere near it i, I feel like i get a headache and, and get fatigue from that it's pretty yeah. wild that some people are not tuned into the fragrance stuff like fragrance yeah. and not sawnying is the new smoking.
0: Right. Um, yeah, the yeah. fragrance thing is is uh is yeah, I think that's gonna take off. That's like the next big thing is let's remove fragrance and uh we'll all be yes. like a little bit happier.
1: <laughs> I'm yes. on board. Definitely. Yes, you got my vote. Got nice my vote. <laughs> on a totally different topic. You mentioned something a little bit ago that really piqued my interest. You said something about psychedelics. And genetics, yeah, and that is something we had not talked about on the show at all. I'm so curious. What are you researching, and what are you finding with that? Yeah. Because obviously, psychedelics it's exploding right now.
2: Yeah, I'm going to so, second that
1: because I looked mm-hmm. at my genetics, and they actually did not
2: correlate, or they didn't match up with my experience of using. Oh, okay.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So um, there's a fair amount of research going and there's a few DNA tests for it now, but they're pretty limited. I think the the most robust one has about seven snips. So it's really limited. Uh, we're looking at some research and we're actually going to be we're going to be at maps in in june if you guys are going to the psychedelic conference in denver so apiram will we'll be there oh, <laughs> and cool. um, we're actually we're we're formulating everything now so that we can actually correlate it with people's experience um, so that we can say hey let's look at your genetics and let's look at your experience and get a little bit more of a population study going. So um, yeah, we're, we're taking a look at many things, pretty much all of the main, the main players are, you know, we're going to be testing for. Um, and it comes down to really dosage and then response. And um, we even actually the other day just found a pretty robust study that talked about Uh, which SNPs are affected cardiovascularly so that you wouldn't be um, in any kind of danger with ketamine. So yeah, there's a lot of really valuable research out there that's coming forth and and really a lot to do with dosage and response. So that's where we want to make sure that practitioners can take a responsible look and make sure that their clients are safe and um, really also informed about where things will head, you know, and then what, uh, you know, what, what repeated use looks like. And, um, you know, I, we actually do currently appear on also has a panel for THC and CBD as well. So that really has to do with any kind of like withdrawal or dependence, you know, like for me, the CBD, when I ran my genetics, I get like irritation with CBD, Um, so (laughs) I never take CBD because I get, and that correlates with my experience. I, I tried it a few times, just like a CBD seltzer and then like a, um, CBD drops and both times. Um, I was like this, I was like irritated all day and like, like frustrated with things. I'm like, okay, so this is not my, like, this is not great for experience for me. And when I looked at my genetics layer, I'm like, oh, that, that correlates. So yeah, I think there's so much value in this from a, a therapeutic standpoint, whether in a more formal clinical setting or otherwise. And people having that data will I think it would be really helpful for people to, you know, use it in healing processes or whatever type of ceremony they use in, in various forms. So yeah, we're really excited about that one.
1: Yeah. Us too. I'm yeah. Like <laughs> sitting on the edge of my seat. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I, cause my husband on one of his genetic reports a while back. It wasn't a full psychedelic panel. I think it was just THC, but it's, it said something like THC-induced psychosis something. Mm-hmm. And when he has, like, an edible, we'll do, like, I guess 10 grams or whatever, he loves it. I mean, he has, like, the best time ever, but he has a, like, psychedelic experience, mm. like – Full blown psychedelic experience versus like if I touch THC, I'm like a full blown panic attack. I mm. hate life.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I just yeah. don't even <laughs> touch that. Yeah, um, we can really tell a lot. With, certainly yeah. with um, anxiety, and then yeah, with the with the feeling of like the dosage is so important, right? Because now if your husband yeah. were to go in and go like full on like serious dosage, he might not have a great experience. So it's great to know. Ah, and, okay, and you know, we, while we can do that was through self experimentation and kind of like you know dip your toe in, see how it feels and. Reflect on that. I'm not a, uh, i I'm not a practitioner of psychedelics, um, but uh, people in Imperon are familiar with this and they are practitioners of it, so they're able to guide people in a way that's more responsible because they have that information. Um, and going forward, that'll be part of our protocol. You know, so um, that way we know instead of saying, "Well, let's try it out," and see, you know, sometimes let's try it out and see what happens. And if it's not a good experience, people might not get what they're looking for. So, yeah, it's it's just again one of those like a little more information, a little bit more more actionable information that we can say, okay, like this is probably ideal experience for you in an ideal setting.
1: Yeah.
2: It'll be a really interesting Great. new phase of psychedelic research because, again, as we talked about before, we can kind of create these negative narratives or kind of go down a rabbit hole with genetics based on what is being reported to us. And we know with psychedelics, going in with in good intention and clear mindset and mm-hmm. setting is so important. So I'm curious maybe how these reports are going to be dispersed and educated upon because If you have this idea, I mean, obviously the dose and the setting will be adjusted according to your genetics, but I think Mm -hmm. it would be very easy to then start to go down this rabbit hole and narrative of something bad could happen or really believing that something is good. So. I'm like sitting here just curious. Yeah. So
0: when we um, use all of our genetic panels, we actually don't do any direct to consumer to peer on. We work with clinicians and coaches and we have a robust training platform. We have a 75 hour training platform and the psychedelics panel will also have additional training that's required um, to interpret the panel. And then it will be, co- um, well, it's usually health coaches, clinicians, physicians, physicians, MDs, chiropractors, um, alternative health practitioners. And that way, they have um, the data where they don't necessarily, you know. Sometimes there's information that you have that you don't necessarily have to share with a client from right. the get-go, right? Like I know your dosage. Let's go into this so that it can be used in a responsible way, and that's certainly being integrated into the person that's that's writing our panel has an en- enormous amount of experience with this, and he's helping um, the academy to build this program. So we're really excited because I think it's he has years of experience in that space, so he's going to be able. And actually, there's really two people that have several years of experience in that space and they'll really be able to know exactly what that integration process looks
2: like. That's such mm. a great point. I think it sounds secretive, but the <laughs> client doesn't need to know everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, yeah. sometimes have Some a good coach. Yeah. And really just
1: like
0: putting the information out at the pro- appropriate time really, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then integrating that
1: experience is helpful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, having a coach will be so helpful. I love that you do yeah. that. You also mentioned longevity, which I like, yeah. I get so excited. <laughs> um, what can you share about like any specific SNPs or interesting things you've been finding in the longevity space?
0: Yeah. So there's so much on, you know, like Foxo genes. So we're adding that to our array right now because there's um currently it's there's only some of it in our array. So we're gonna actually add a bunch more SNPs. And that way we'll be be able to test for it. So right now, um, one of the panels that we're the longevity panel that we're working on, you know, it does an overall you know mortality risk, which all that information, all that research is already there. But a lot of the newer research, um, and we're going to be clinically vetting this as well. But really to be able to show like the propensity to live past one hundred, and then what epigenetic changes would affect you most because, you know, now we have, we're up to 12 hallmarks of aging, right? And um that's, you know, some people were nine and 10 and now we're 12, but really looking, you know, like my, my, and I think this is probably one of the top ones, but I think like mitochondrial health is super important to me and longevity. I think that seems to be a big, um, a big part of it, but really what that comes down to is Probably mostly nutrition. I'm going to say, you know, I mean, it's hard to like distill it down to one, but really again, it's such a complex system that really all parts of, you know, sleep, nutrition, even, um, you know, relationships and, and, and mental health all play a part of that. But in the aging process, we have, <clears throat> we have so much data now to show like what is happening in the blue zones. Like, okay, how deep are we going in the blue zone thing? How much do we really like? trust that research, you know, because I know there's some disputed, like maybe that data wasn't quite as uh, as clear as we once thought. But now we can, we have so much data, even from the 70s on DNA, that we're able to go back and look and say, like, how long did these people all live? And what were some factors? Now, the human si- system is so complex, right? Like we have, not only do we have these bodies, but we have all the relationships around us and the environment and so many things that play into it. So how much of it, let's say, in the blue zone, like um, you know, my dad used to live in one of the blue zones in Costa Rica. Like, oh. it, it, like oh. it is it is, yeah, I know, right? It's so nice. <laughs> but yeah. like, is it the environment? Is it like because everyone ate fish? Is it because everybody had great relationships? Like, or is it like not exposure to Netflix? I don't know. <laughs> but we can probably take all of those actionable things and put them together to say here's like a longevity platter and like choose what you want from this. And then the more things that you choose from this, the more likely, you know, it just really comes down to, we can do like all the scientific research in the world, but really you probably know what's best for you, right? Like if you're, for instance, we know relationship, like close relationships and meaningful relationships are so important for longevity. And it feels like, well, that really has nothing to do with genetics, but really that's a huge epigenetic driver, right? So having a loving relationship turns up, also, you know, oxytocin, and we're, we're getting like the proper hormones that we need, but you know, not having close relationships has a higher all mortality than smoking. Have you seen this? This is new. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to misquote it, but I'm pretty sure that's what it yeah. was. So mm-hmm. you know, but I think intuitively as humans, like, we know if we're in a loving relationship, right? Like we have to sometimes take a step back from all that scientific research, you know, I'm enmeshed in this every day. But every now and then I'm like, hey, Get to know your client and take a look, like you know yourself. And if you don't, we'll spend some time there too. Let's get to know ourselves as humans but also like what feels good for you? Are you in a loving relationship? Is or Do you have meaning in your life? Are you uh, contributing to like the younger generation by helping, you know, in the community? Are you around grandchildren? What does that look like? So sometimes I think um, it's easy as a coach to get caught in this like mental game of like, oh, you know, the blue zones and we need the fish and the <laughs> olive oil. And, and we get down to like these super super, uh, specific channels, but sometimes I'm like, also let's take a step back. Let's look at the macro and be like, okay, we need loving relationships. What does that look like for you? What is that? Uh, what does meaning in your life look like? What does purpose look like? So sometimes you have to almost incorporate, um, that spiritual side of things. You know, in the chapter in my book, I have a whole chapter about spiritual health, whatever that looks like. And that's so different for everyone. It's as different as our genetics, right? Because we're all different humans. So it's, uh, it's a, like more like that macro view.
2: Yeah. I really want to dig into the spirituality, but I want to say I was yeah. reading this newsletter this morning that said experts are now predicting that the current generation of U.S. children are, are going to be the first to live shorter lives than their parents. Mm. So I'm wondering how much, and, and I don't know how true that is, but I guess with your knowledge of the Blue Zones, but also this macro view of mindset, spirituality, relationships, how much do you think that trauma, social is- isolation, lack of good relationships in that generation, like the children now, is is gonna affect their epigenetics. And I mean, I guess longevity.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, not to be a downer, but I think I think it's it's significant. I think the lack of social interaction is detrimental, you know. And I think the best thing we can do is try to get our children and young people to connect with each other in, you know outside if we can get people outdoors that's huge right um so you know even though we love to organize things and for instance like in organized sports <laughs> but at least they're outdoors for the most part right and then they're interacting with their peers and really I mean I'm I'm like a big advocate of nature and just like really getting back to the, those roots with my own children and I really advocate that. For others, I think the average child has um, what was it? seven minutes of unsupervised outdoor play a day. Seven minutes, that's not enough. This is, you know, I'm a child of the 80s. Wow. We were on the go for eight hours a day. And I'm not saying, you know, it wasn't perfect. But yeah, really just like being able to get that outside time. And, and it doesn't need to be outside necessarily organized, just outside if it's with the neighborhood kids, I know we 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 just have um, a very sheltered generation, so that we it's easier, you know. And we're busy, so we say, well, I can't take the kids outside because we have the meetings and the thing, you know, and we all work from home now. And but uh, yeah, really getting kids around other kids, around other people, and oh, out from behind the screen. I know, like nobody wants to hear that, but really out from behind the screen and interacting in real life. I know some people will say, well, they're going to be on a computer the rest of their lives, so they have to learn it. And I just, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> oh, I don't know that that's gosh. true. Honestly, I, I think we're going to go in another direction. I think we're going to overcorrect and we're going to go the way other way. And we're going to get kids from behind screens and get them outdoors and and really eat, get, you know, eating whole foods and not, not necessarily being indoors as much and not on, on a computer to interact, really interacting in, in real time and real space. And I think that's huge. and really. I think from there, the the human body knows what to do and children will thrive. So I think it's really just taking those few steps and it's harder. You know, it's, it's, I was speaking to my husband the other day and we were like, it's a lot harder doing it this way. <laughs> you know, we were saying like, this is hard. Yeah. It was a really rainy day and it was, you know, and it was cold and winter and, but um, putting in that kind of harder work now it's probably going to pay off because they, you know, it, it, it shows in children and it shows in that genetic expression, right? We're really bringing up some of those happy hormones, those proper hormones that kids need, need to thrive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have um, some family members who have two young kids. Well, I say young, I think their oldest is now like a freshman in high school. And I, we've watched them grow up and I was so impressed with how the kids were, were around technology. Like I think they were allowed to use the iPad for like 30 minutes a day, starting at, you know, five years old or something, but they were, the parents were so disciplined about it, but the kids were so appreciative of the time they got with the technology because it was a limited amount. But like, I think they're just like amazing kids. They're smart. They're very talented. They're good at their sports. They're great around adults. They are world travelers now. And like, if I ever have kids, I'm going to need like a manual of like, how did you raise them with technology? (laughs) I'm going to need a
2: step-by-step there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, to add in, I know
1: one thing that's really important to them is
2: sitting at the dinner table and talking about what they're grateful for, for the day and kind of Mm. talking through their experience and how can we digest that information and then go into like the next day with that.
0: Yeah. And really teaching kids an appreciation for like, yes, this is technology. And I constantly tell my kids, and this is this gets a little funny because people, I think it people feel preached to when, a, you know, when a mom is saying, Oh, do this, not that, you know, but with that caveat, I will say, <laughs> yeah. I try, you know, and, and it's, it's a serious effort, but it is, I feel it is part of my life's work to raise these people, right. And give them the best possible chance. So I do take it very seriously and it's, They know that it's a tool, um, but they know that the real world's out there and that we go for a family hike every single Saturday and Sunday that we can. And we go, you know, Mm -hmm. there will be outside time. And when it's raining, my husband's from Ireland, they're outside in the rain half the time because they don't seem to care. Um, And we take our kids away for a month every summer. We travel the world and we want to see new places. And I, you know, um, it's not always appreciated at a certain age. I know my son was like four and it was the first time he was on the plane with a television. He had never really seen TV and And he was like, you know, we were in Costa Rica at a pool, and he was like, it's too hot. I just want to go back to the plane because he wanted to see (laughs) me. like, Oh, (laughs) but I know, (laughs) (laughs) but like, I know at some point down the road, it will pay off, you know, like, because he had that experience, he got to go to a really cool place and see, you know, monkeys in the trees and all that stuff. But yeah, Mm -hmm. so it is kind of like, that can feel frustrating to a parent, like, what, you know, what did I just do all this for? But this is kind of like, again, the hard work at the front end, right? It's just like anything in health and wellness, we know, putting in the time for our, you know, our own nutrition, our own uh, fitness and everything, like, we know that, there is payoff and there is an immediate payoff for us where we get to see our kids have these really wonderful experiences, but also we get to them, allow them to have kind of the breadth of emotions rather than kind of like a dull, you know, life behind a screen. Um, so, you know, it can, they they can have like a higher range of emotions when they're not, um, yeah, when they're, when they're really just exposed to more experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm very happy for my scabs and scars from yeah. <laughs> sidewalks and trees and i was <laughs> yeah
0: yeah exactly yeah, and those yeah. are all just kind of part of and and really just for you know like a jumping off of rocks are great for the spine right and like all this proprioception that kids don't necessarily mm. learn from being indoors so a guy like i like, yeah. I, like all kids to get out, and then kids of all ages, because I love people to get outside in general, every person should be outside. So yeah, Yeah. I'm a big fan of just like walking outside, hiking outside, sitting outside. Um, I sometimes take some of my calls outside when I can, you know, and just trying to get that vitamin D and all that good stuff.
2: If they could just make the Apple products, the computers, the phones operate better outside in the sunshine and heat, I would be a (laughs) very happy human. Yes. That's a very good point. Yes. Because there's only so much I can disconnect from my work, but I'm always like my, everything's overheating. I can't see. Yeah. It would be optimal to be able to work outside. (laughs)
1: Yes, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just went for an awesome hike on Sunday and it's just like, it's always blows my mind how amazing it feels like yeah the air and the dirt and the sun it's just so healing Yeah, and so. there's
0: a really great feeling when you come home at the end of a day and you're like wow that was like a cool day right like saw some wildlife or saw you know whatever you you got some walking in where there were undulations on the road or the the path and and you're you know you're challenging yourself cognitively without even realizing it and particularly in relation to longevity we know this is huge this is why I like walking on a treadmill Okay. It's, it's good. Right. But walking outside is great. And that's great for longevity because it really does make a huge difference. Such a weird thing. Um, but when you think about it, very intuitive, right? Like we have to walk to survive. So in aging, of course we would be walking. So.
1: Yeah. I remember I heard this interview. There was a gentleman living in Japan. He had lived over a hundred. It was possible that he was in the blue zone. That's why they're interviewing him. But he said he had never been in a car he oh, wow. had walked or biked everywhere. Obviously he hadn't gone super far, but, but he walked and biked everywhere. And they thought that was a big part of why he lived so long. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, okay. my, I mentioned my husband's from Ireland and he has, he doesn't actually have like the clotho gene, the super longevity gene. And I always tease him because he doesn't, but <laughs> his family, I mean, they lived on farms in kind of um very rural part of Ireland and they are all in their 90s still going for walks, walking into town, riding bikes, and that's how they get around and working on farms, and they're all in their 90s and and bright and as shiny as can be and really just great at holding conversation and all they're all about relationships and really like sitting by the fire at the end of the day and i mean just generations of people coming together and i don't know if there is a blue zone there i feel like it should be (laughs) it's not a blue zone but i feel like that part of uh, Roscommon, ireland could be a blue zone yeah it's amazing i'm actually taking my kids there this summer and it's like he has family members in their 90s that are just like yeah come on by you know and it's really i think very clear there it's it's a It's a low stress environment, and it's quite honestly low calorie. They they were farmers; they just didn't have a lot when they were younger. Yeah, and then really just those relationships.
2: Mm. Have you seen the movie The Banshees of Inishirin? No, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I've heard it it was an Oscar nominated movie that came out this year with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And they live; it's a fictional place in Ireland, but it's Mm -hmm. like a remote uh, island, and very simple, minimalistic life. And the story is actually a. kind of dark because it's about two friends one of them just decides he doesn't want to be friends with the other one anymore but the point of me bringing this up is that they walk everywhere and I watched that movie thinking I wish they had a pedometer on on the screen because (laughs) they must be (laughs) walking 30 to 40 miles a day they're just always outside and walking (laughs) yeah so amazing (laughs) Yeah. Well, walk, I mean,
0: walking is so great, right. For like, like we said to be outside, but even just if you're not a person that's like, Oh, I love running or something going out walking. Right. And, and particularly if you walk with another person, you're working in that relationship too. So. (laughs) Mm,
2: Yeah. 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 So coming back to relationships, mindset, spirituality, there's a lot in your book about mindset. And I I just really love that. That was so beautiful that you kind of kicked it off saying that we need to have grace and ease and joy in our lives. Like that is the lens by which we need to start looking at our lives and epigenetic expression. So what can you share with our audience about how you've infused that into your life or some simple practices that we can start to use? Yeah. So, um,
0: I uh, Well, I'm a kundalini yoga practitioner and teacher. So every morning I wake up and my husband actually does it with me. We wake up and have a sadhana morning practice. And I think it makes, and whether it's an hour and a half or, you know, if something kept us up at night and the kids were up or something, uh, you know, a nightmare keeps somebody up, we end up, um, you know, with 20 minutes, but we're doing some sort of breath practice or something. And that dedication really just allows me to find ease in the rest of my day. And that's so important to me because I feel like, you know, I'm a retired federal agent. So I used to work for the government for 16 years and it's a very high stress environment. So I feel like there was a really long time where I was swimming upstream and it was it was tough. You know, it's a really high stress job and um, not a lot of females. And uh, yeah, it felt like there was no ease. And then I started really looking into how I was living my life. And I was always healthy. I, you know, uh, quote, unquote, healthy, you know, I was always like a personal trainer. And I, I did other things as side hustles. Um, But when I really started looking at my genetics and actually living within the parameters of my genetics, but also adding that daily practice years ago. Everything started to kind of just seem easier. And whether that was like something like a really str- high stress environment where, you know, your life is in danger or just like, you know, dealing with a kid's tantrum, everything kind of started to fall into place. And I found that um, the majority of people that are living outside of that alignment where they're they're either living... Um, really just like outside of their circadian rhythm or, or just eating and like, they're like, I wish I could eat better, but I don't know what to do. Or, or like, you know, oh, I grew up in a very religious household and now I don't have, you know, and, and I've, I've moved away from uh organized religion, but I don't have a spiritual practice. So it just, if you can find something that works for you, that alignment starts to really fall into place. And then I just found so much ease in my life that all of the moments, and I, I use the word joy to really describe all emotions, but like at a higher level, right? So instead of just being like kind of like even all day, you really get to experience a moment where like the sunshine peeks through and you're like, it's like a very joyous moment. Or like your kid taking their first step is a very joyous moment, but there's also just joy in like, sitting and having a conversation, enjoying a cup of tea or, you know, whatever that may be, you can find those like kind of pieces of joy. Um, I remember before I retired from the government, like finding joy in the real mundane, real boring part of my job where I was like, this is real goofy, but like it was, there's some joy to be found in that, even though it was something that I no longer wanted to do, (laughs) but you can find grace in all of these spaces. And I feel like the, the term grace really brings you to um using you you can have grace in all parts of life when you're going through something really horrible when you're going through something very challenging when you're experiencing um moments of joy and, and joyous occasions you can move through all of life with that grace when you have things in alignment and it's really hard to do otherwise because it's you know when you're when you're not kind of really feeling the body properly with the sleep and nutrition and and relationship and and that spiritual health like you, you just it's 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 hard to describe but it's just almost like you you don't have this awareness to say i deserve more right um that i i deserve to feel all the feelings and i deserve to like live this life that i want to be like, on my terms and i have the choice to do it the way i want to yeah choice
1: i love that that's beautiful <laughs> yeah this year my word of the year is kind of not to be cliche, cliche with it, but it's gratitude. I can never like revisit this enough. So that's my word of the year, but it's similar to what you were saying is like finding or seeing the joy and the happiness in, in all the things, Mm -hmm. even when something is annoying you or frustrating you, it's like, but what, what, what can you be grateful for about that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even it's about choice. Right. And having the uh, choice to say like, this isn't working for me or this is working for me. Let's focus on this or like this, you know, this friendship has run its course or something, you know, like just that you can say like, I get to choose on this and this, and, you know, um, I get to choose what foods I'm eating um, for the most part, right? Like I have choice in that. What a, what a great thing, it, you know, cause not everybody has that choice. So I, I have the resources to make that choice. And then uh, I get the choice to choose, um, you know, where I spend my time, who I spend my, who I spend my time with. And uh, you know, this is kind of random, but recently There's new research out about like, you really share your gut microbiome with other people. It almost like leeches. So it's like, I gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm with some good microbiome people, right? Like, (laughs) I want, to yep. choose, I want to choose my microbiome. Well, and you know, I, I say yeah. that in jest, but
2: it's kind of true. Let's hang out. I, yeah. <laughs> I my fiance a hard time and I'm like, your health is my health because right. <laughs> skin microbiome, the oral microbiome, there's just so much bacteria being shared. So like, right. Yeah. I'm mean... <laughs> sorry to be selfish, but this is about me.
0: <laughs> yeah. They say like, oh, you're, yeah. you know, you're, you're the people that you surround yourself with. They're like, Ooh, that's actually quite true. And I'm talking about the collective here. We, we, we um, might've been on to something when someone quoted that originally
1: (laughs) yeah down to the microscopic level who knew more than they knew oh my goodness well see thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today this was such a great conversation yeah thanks Um, so
0: much for having me it was super fun
1: yeah yeah to uh, ask one final question if you can leave our audience with a piece of advice something they could start doing today to optimize their health what would that be
0: oh yeah i think really um Just the knowledge and and like really sitting in the knowledge that you are not only responsible, but able to make changes in your genetics that you can turn those dimmer switches up and down as needed. And it's, it's really up to you. You get to make that decision. And those are tiny micro decisions all day long and throughout your life and big decisions and small decisions. It's all up to you and you get to decide.
2: That's great. I love that. I think that's really great permission that people need to hear because genetics have kind of conditioned us to think that we don't have a choice. So yeah, thank you for the permission. And thank you for empowering us with such amazing advice. And it was just so lovely to chat with you today.
1: Can you tell our audience
2: where to find more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so you can
0: find me at cmcdermott.com. And if you wanted to know anything more about the Academy of Apiron, it's Apiron Zoe. It's apeironzo h.com. And there you can find out for uh, genetic testing and <clears throat> for coaches and clinicians and the Academy and all the things that we're working on there, including those psychedelic panels coming out.
1: Woo! <laughs> <okay>, yay. <laughs> amazing thank you yep and we'll link to all of that in the show notes for today's episode so it's easy for everyone to find cool. thank you again so much we really appreciate your time today yeah thanks and thanks to everyone for tuning in we'll
2: see you next time love this episode of the biohacker babes podcast head over to apple podcast to subscribe rate and leave a review we truly appreciate your support until then happy biohacking